Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. Last night I was speaking to this group of people about the divine messages that comes through. There's so much beauty in life, and it's constant. All we need is to recognize that, God, what a great gift. Thank you. Even when it hurts, thank you for this gift. And I enjoy the mess that I make, because it's in that mess that I find the clues that becomes the guide for the next brush to land on the canvas. And all I have to do is to let it go. But to let it go is not that easy. (laughs) To surrender with joy is not that easy. I just love to develop that power of being a mystic libertine and share it with people and make them recognize how you can be a libertine, how you can do everything that is against the law, morality, religion, politics, whatever. Yet your power is above all of them. You have the control of every one of them because you connect with your heart, because you're a mystic, because you do things that comes through you. I think that's partly what scares us. That's what terrifies us, you know, is edging closer and closer to that that power because what do we do? We make our own quote-unquote truths, these tiny little sliver truths that even at their best will only ever be a sliver. They could never be the totality. And a lot of times people will draw lines around that and put up walls and put up fences and say, this is the truth, I have the truth. And even if that is the truth, it's not the whole truth. It it can't possibly be. Even this whole idea of libertine, the mystic and the libertine, which I feel so strongly, you know, in Rumi's work and in Hafez's work, and so strongly through you and your work, which is the thing I think I probably gravitate the most towards. Of all of the many likable qualities of the three of you, that's the thing that I like the most because there's just so much here that needs to be broken. And even the word libertine, implies that there is some structure and that you are breaking the structure. And it also implies that that is a a minority. It's a minority experience because the majority is into the structure and the safety and the familiar. And what is it that needs to be broken? What needs to be broken and needs to be freed from are these quote-unquote truths that we've built to hide ourselves inside of while the real story, the grand story, the larger story isn't even a story, is playing all the time all around us. I love that about you, Rasuli. I so deeply honor you for living like that. I feel it. Almost no matter what you talk about, I feel that. Because no matter what it is that you're doing, that's what you're really doing. I'm really humbled by your saying this. I think what we need is to have pain. There are plenty of doctors what we're missing is the need for it. We're so confused with all these different things that attracts us. 
that becomes difficult for us to find what is that I really need. Mm. Not just because Jack has it, I want to have it too. Or because they say that you got to have it, you got to have it too. I want to have my own way of things. But more importantly is that I have to have the capability to echo my things with other people. So my things becomes more joyful for me, expands. So to make it more joyful, to expand it, we create. Creation is expansion of something that triggers, something that snaps. That desire is everything. If there is no desire, you won't even get out of bed. So really, we need to build on that desire, that longing, that pain of longing, which is so joyful. Pain of wanting something, pain of looking for something, pain of being available for your beloved to arrive at the airport. Those moments are the most joyful moments of life. Not when you're with your beloved, because at those moments you're not even aware of what's going on. But the joy of get into that point, is what makes us create. We're all creative. Every one of us are equally creative. But how far we want to expand our creativity becomes important. It's really interesting as you talk about creativity as an expansion, and then you look at this idea of pain, and you're saying, you know, that's such an important piece of what we need to experience here and spurs some of the most joyful of the moments. How I'm seeing that as you're talking is that the pain is like a distance because that's kind of the ultimate form of pain is that we're distant from the thing that we want, you know, whether it's the beloved or the mother or this goal that we have, there's this distance between us and it and it's a painful distance. Even sometimes there's a distance to a past form that we had, a version of health or a state that we wish we were in. Pain seems to be closely associated with distance and so you have these artists and what the artists do is they expand and as they expand, they bridge that distance. It seems to be no accident that a lot of the most creative people on the planet are also the ones that experience the most pain because they had to bridge that distance. And so what it kind of seems to me now is that the artist, you know, the truest of the artist places themselves in distance on purpose. They walk away from the mother's hand and from the drawstrings, you know, of her apron, and they put themselves in the unknown, throw themselves into the wild so that they can develop their creative power to bridge that distance and so the world expands. To create, we need to be needy of something. If we have it, we won't create it. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. To become needy of something means recognition that this is what I need. Wow. Not because my friend has that or my sister has that. The first thing is the recognition. When we look at things in our life, there are times that we're seeing only the surface. And because we're seeing the surface, our attention goes into the irregular things that we see in the surface. Our attention goes into the problems, mostly, that we see. Some of us goes into potentials that we see in those irregular things. And that's, that's where the journey begins. 
something you said just made me so instantly drunk. I It's hard to kind of sit up right now, but we've been talking about this idea about these false kind of truths, or at least tiny sliver truths that we create for ourselves, these fictions. And what you just said, we need a need to create, like that's a prerequisite of creation. You will have people in this world living inside of the fictional truths who have accomplished everything that was said was supposed to be accomplished. They have fought whatever was said was supposed to be fought. They have accumulated whatever they said was supposed to be accumulated and it's still not enough. They get, they get it all and it's still not enough. And it's because they have been doing that inside of the small truth, the fake truth, the fictional truth. And what you just said totally expanded this understanding in me of this need that has to be there for us to create. That's really what God actually is or represents is this infinite, you know, that we would infinitely need. We could never get enough of that. So the longing that Rumi talks about and Hafez talks about, the longing, it's like there will be an infinite amount of longing for an infinite thing. And when the longing stops in people, it's because they're inside of the fictional reality. They're not in the truth anymore because if you're really going after an infinite thing, then the chase can never stop. It can never truly stop. And that's kind of how you can know the difference in any given moment. And it's just so clearly illustrated in how much deep unhappiness there is with people who get all of the things here on earth. And it's, it's still not enough. The flow is everything. And the flow has no attachment to where it's going. The river has no attachment to where it's going. It's mm. just going. Wow. And when it falls falls beautifully into form of a waterfall. So we need the pain. We need the pain to recognize our power, to use our power. I love the ocean so much. I love it as much as I love showers. <laughs> Maybe more. I love the ocean. It's so, 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 so beautiful to me. And this one time a couple of years ago, I was watching these waves break on this rock and you just see this strong energy pour in and just smash itself on the rock and it starts exploding upwards and like, you know, all of these circles, these little tiny worlds of, of water, you know, everywhere that are there for a moment and then poof, they're gone. And it's constant Layla, you know, it's constant the creation and the destruction. I love taking pictures actually of waves breaking on rocks because it's just so incredible to me, you know, that there's this big, dark, deep thing, and then all of a sudden it comes into a moment, and what was completely dark a moment before suddenly becomes white and filled with tiny rainbows. I mean, that's weird when you think about it. It's kind of amazing. But something that came to me as I, I was writing a caption for one of the images that I was sharing, it was something like, imagine how much less beautiful the sea would be if she was afraid to lose herself. And I was just imagining like these little dot, this wave coming to crash on the rock, but it was very hesitant about doing it, you know? And I was like, well, I, I don't really want to like change the way that I am. So you could see these little dots just kind of like in fear, hesitantly. <laughs> and that's not what's beautiful about it. You know, what's so beautiful about the ocean is it's just complete surrender, smashing itself fully and thickly and, and powerfully just into whatever's in front of it with complete abandon and complete disregard, just boom, that's why it's so beautiful. That's why it's so beautiful is, is because it can give itself 
that way. And when you, I compared that with the way that so many of the moments of my life are lived in such an opposite direction of, all right, I'm about to do this thing in about 20 meters from now, and it's going to land like this, and then I'm going to go like this, and it can't happen all these ways. Like, that would just suck the beauty right out. It's so beautifully said, and you reflected in your photographs. Your best works are the ones that you're fantasizing in the ocean or something with yourself in the <laughs> And I just love those because it is like a powerful energy that you want to express it. And this is where uh, every time that I see you, I enjoy like, wow, this is another wave. We never repeat something. And if we do, we don't use it in the same way that we did before. So we keep on changing the colors as we play around with them. Let's go back to Layla. It's actually a Sanskrit word. Lay means to make. Law means to demolish, to destroy. So lay law is creating, destroying, creating, destroying. Same time as a star appears in the black hole, star disappears, Layla. The moment we flow in Layla, then we're surrendering. When you're in the river, in the current, and you want to go against it, I don't care how great of a swimmer you are, or powerful person you are. At some point, the current takes over you. But all that period that you struggled against the current was wasted instead of enjoying it. So why not just surrender? And to surrender is to just let the brush play on the canvas. Let the fingers play the notes. Stop the control. To get to a point that knowing that somebody much more powerful, some energy much greater is taking care of me. So what do I have negative against it to say it won't carry me through? Layla is all we need to do in no matter what we're doing. Business, politics, art, love. Anything. Just Layla. You know how they, uh, when greetings, they say namaste? Mm. And maybe just when you say goodbye, instead of saying goodbye, say Layla. I think when I think of Layla, part of what it means to me is we've got the contrast between how adults create and how children create a lot of the time. <laughs> and you see a child playing with blocks and they will build their little pyramid or their structure. And once the structure's finished, they're not finished. That's just when they're starting, because now comes the best part of the entire experience of the creating of that. And that's they lift their hand back and they get so excited because something amazing is about to happen. And that is the complete destruction of everything that they've just built. And often that is the most joyful part. If you watch kids when they're breaking the thing apart, that's actually much more joyful than the making of the thing itself. And what adults are doing without really realizing it is they're only doing half of creativity. They've created this fictional version of creativity, which is a sliver of creativity, but it's not the whole creativity because the whole creativity is to create and then to destroy what was created. So you do the alpha and omega and end up right back at the beginning with nothing. In the beginning, the world was formless and without void. That's how it all started. That's how it all ends. To go through that full cycle is to be a true creator. And then you contrast that with the way a lot of adults create and they do the first half and they'll 
they'll build their photograph or their painting or their, their movie or whatever, and then they'll hang it up on the wall and they'll say, see this thing that I did one time? This is what I did one time. Look at it. See, I did this. And when it's just at that level, it stays stuck and it stays frozen. Again, is something I think that you illustrate so beautifully for me is that ability to let the paintbrush go. When you are willing to let go like that, it's the only way you will ever be able to receive anything ever again. And that's why I think most of the most creative times in most people's lives come from great tragedy because tragedy is basically a time where you surrender when you didn't want to. You're forced to surrender. Somebody puts the brush in my hand and that somebody or some energy or someone, whatever it is, develops a desire in me that I want to do something. I want to get out of bed to do something exciting. So with that feeling of, um, I'm going to jump in and start doing a painting or write a song or make breakfast for my daughter or whatever, develop a rhythm with that. See, without a rhythm, we lost. Art has to have rhythm. Aside from emotion and expression, it has to have a rhythm. That reminds me, one of my favorite things to eat is called an acai bowl. And it's just the most delicious fruit. I think it's originally from Brazil area. And uh, there's granola and there's fresh strawberries and there's bananas. And it's just, for me, it's like pure life. And I used to go to this one shop near a place where I lived every morning and I would eat this. And before I would eat it on the outside of the bowl, I would write, Future Jesh, welcome home. And... I did that as a practice to remember that right now I'm looking at this bowl and it seems to be outside of me. It seems to be separate from me. But within just a few short minutes, a level of magic and alchemy that's unparalleled by infinite degrees from anything science has ever done is about to happen. And that is that these strawberries and this acai and this blueberry is about to become me. There's a marriage that's about to happen. You know, there's a divine union that's about to happen that the fact that these blueberries and these acai berries and this strawberry is about to enter into my body and become me and become my thoughts and become my actions and become my expression of the things that I've seen that are so beautiful. How can such a thing even be? And I think we forget that berries have no issues. They have <laughs> no issues at all. They're doing fine. And people talk about, let's save the planet, let's help the planet, etc., etc. But it's kind of funny because... <laughs> When you eat these berries, the berries had no issues. And as soon as you eat them, you're giving all of your issues, you know, and all of your weirdnesses and problems and self-judgments <laughs> to these berries. And these berries are now taking wow. this on. For me, that was a very helpful practice just to remember that these berries, they're just pure raw energy. They have no agenda. They have no story. So that means, since I am largely made of acai bowl at this point, that those stories and those judgments, I was the one that placed them on there. And I think that's so important to remember because if you don't realize you are the one who is creating all of that stuff, it will just continue to create stories and judgments forever. And to know that every time you're about to take a bite of something, you're welcoming new, fresh, pure energy into you that you can do anything with. There is no edict that says, 
today has to be the same as the yesterday was because it's a new bowl in front of you today and you can take it in any new direction. And that is clearly something that is hard for humans to remember because we tend to take completely different fruit, completely different food and keep doing the same shit with it again and again and again and again until we're so bored and scared and tired and trapped in our life that we don't even know what the whole point is. And what you're saying about this shower and being in there and just remembering this is pure energy just pouring into you and just taking that moment to be aware of this is a sacred moment. I'm about to go into the day with a new batch of energy. You know, what will I create with this today? I think that's beautiful and precious. The concept of day and night is so meaningful. We got to go through darkness to give birth to light. Get your lighter, light it up in front of the sun. Sun is going to laugh at it. (laughs) (laughs) But do that same lighter at night in the dark when the sun is not around. Mm. We need to have that darkness in order to have the light. I just came out of the darkness and I feel the light. I am the light. Mm. What stops us from that? What stops us? We live with that energy of divine. We live with Christ, which is the ray of light. That's so powerful, you know, and the whole story that Jesus gave to his following was, this is the bread, this is my body, this must be broken. And unless you break this and divide it, it, you'll never be able to come into the, the kingdom unless you eat my flesh, is what he said, which is a pretty terrifying thing when you think about it. But what is the thing about the eating of it? It's what we were talking about. It's the consuming of it and the, the drawing it in. And again, I think there's a lot of people who have the quote-unquote bread of Jesus or bread of whatever religion that they think they're into, the bread of their own stories of their mind, and it's just there on the shelf. And they're like, this is the bread. Here it is. It's the bread. Look at it. It's the bread. And it's like, you're only doing half of it. Good job. You've got the bread. Good. We're happy for you. Now fucking eat it. That's the point, is to eat it. This beautiful gift that's given to us cannot just be looked at. It has to be devoured. It has to be broken apart. And there's so many people on the planet who would hear me say, oh, Christianity, yeah, here's what you do with it. Completely break it apart. That's the way. That's what you have to do. Completely break apart your religion. Completely break apart your ideas. Completely break apart Jesus. (gasps) No, you can't break apart Jesus. That's exactly what he said to do. Break him apart into a billion, billion, billion pieces and feed the entire world with it. And it's just, it's too stuck in this one large lump, like an ice cube. If it's just one huge ice cube in your mouth, it takes so long to melt. And then if you crunch it, and you break it into two, and then you crunch those and break them into to 10 and 20 and 30, they melt so much faster because all of those little pieces will just dissolve in all of the little directions. Wow. As I'm painting in front of the canvas, I feel the energy coming through me and wanting to express itself. There are times that I'm thinking and I do things out of thought, and there are times that I'm letting go. For me is breaking the limits is my law of Layla. Mm. To create, to destroy. I break the thoughts. I break the connections. I break the rules. I break whatever. To get to that breaking, I've got to have them to break them. Yes. 
You can't break something that you don't have. <laughs> True. <laughs> so you've got to make that. But why bother making an enemy that you want to break? Why don't you look for it? So why don't you look for the pain? <laughs> I want to find an enemy that I can break. So I'm looking for the pain. I'm fascinated with these mountain climbers. Every moment, they're just a second from their life. When you look at these people facing challenges, they're great lessons. I watched basketball game and, and I listened to their interviews at the end. And the interviews tells me the power. The interviewer goes, uh, how come you, you didn't make it? And he says, I was thinking of winning, but I didn't. Talks to another one, says, how did you make it? I was just having fun. Exactly. That's Layla versus the loser. Yeah. Is using the judgment. Says looking for the end result. Mm. He wants to win, but this other one wants to play. Winning puts us into judgment weakens us by thought, brings fear into mm -hmm. our world. Suddenly I'm fearful of touching this part of the painting with my brush. Suddenly I become fearful of speaking to a group of people. Why? Because I'm comparing it with something and I'm judging that I might fail. So when the mystics talk about drunkenness, that's what they're talking about. Total surrender to what Michelangelo called intelletto. Total surrender to the divine energy that exists. As we develop our rhythm in life, we expand life. Yes. Because the rhythm becomes like watching the clock. When you're watching the clock, it looks like a minute takes much longer than as you're not paying attention to it. If we recognize that everything that manifests is only just one way of expressing itself and nothing else. Exactly. It reminds me, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who's one of my favorites, he has this beautiful line where he says, walk as if the earth is kissing your feet. I love it so much because it's so simple, but it's such a powerful reminder because we walk all of the time and probably nobody before him had been aware that the earth was actually kissing his feet. And then he says, oh, wow, this is incredible. Every single step I'm being kissed constantly, you know, by the earth. And of course, I love it because it's such a simple example. And there's a myriad of such examples all around us all of the time. And I think in some ways that's the beautiful role of the artist is to say, oh, that's so stunning. And they're like, what? Oh, the air around you, it's just... It's just cuddling your face perfectly. There's no space between the air and your cheeks. It's literally just holding you perfectly. It's astounding. And they're like, oh, really? <laughs> then they become aware of that. And that awareness that develops, I think, is the expansion that you're talking about. As the artist develops more and more of that awareness, you start realizing that there's not a magical world out there. We are in the magical world. It's just that... We don't know that we're in it a lot of the time, you know, and every extra moment of expansion broadens our awareness to the beauty and the, the power, you know, that is already here. And that expansion expresses itself physically through inflammation. Mm. 
spiritually through inflammation and psychologically through inflammation because it's that expansion. It's the opposite movement to recognize the challenge that I have to face. Mm -hmm. It's just like they want to test the power of the automobile. Like they hit it against the <laughs> concrete wall to see how much damage it has taken to show its power. Lots of times we get pushed against that block wall just to recognize our resistance capability. How much can we carry gives us how much mission we receive. The journey begins with developing the rhythm. I think that's why it's important to be in the presence of experiences and of people who have that rhythm in it, you know, because like you say, the water has the rhythm in it. It created all of this stuff. It has it in it. The trees have it in it. The flowers have it in it. The rose has it in it. And I think the more that we surround ourselves with those very real, beautiful experiences and people and works of art that embody those things, it just becomes easier for us to remember because that seems to be the hard thing is to remember. I want to share, if it's okay, this vision that I had. My mind started playing. The very first thing you said at the very beginning of the conversation, there was a factory and there was all of these people who were making clay pots. And there was probably a hundred people in there and they were all very busy making these clay pots. It's a factory line and some people were molding the clay, other people were putting them in the, the fire, you know, and shipping them out. And there was some taskmaster person who was uh, walking through all of these sections and he's checking on everybody, making sure everybody's in the right place. And he sees this one desk that's missing. Nobody's there. And he goes and looks at whose name it is and it says Rasuli. And he's like, where is Rasuli? Has everyone, anyone seen Rasuli? And then in the backyard, Rasuli is there with all of the finished pots. And the pots were supposed to be for joy. That's what the whole factory was, to create pots full of joy, you know. And there Rasuli is in the back, and the headmaster guy goes out and looks to find him, and he starts hearing this noise that gets louder and louder. The closer he goes out to this back part, and he sees you, Rasuli, out there, just dashing the finished pots everywhere. <laughs> smashing them and having such an incredible time doing it. And I think for me, that is just what I love so much about you is you know that the point of the finished pot, it's to smash it. That's how the joy gets out, you know? And that's so opposite of the view of the world, which is like, we have the finished pot. It is now perfect in its wholeness. Now the joy will come. We just wait for the joy to come. And I think, you know, you remind me and you remind all of us, yes, the pots are for joy, but you have to break it to get it out. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Our theme music is by Nicholas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community. 